This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello everyone and welcome to Between the Lines, a podcast that brings you the stories behind great sports writing. My name's Neil White. If you've been listening from the start, you will know the name and the voice and I hope the writing of Ben Writer. A few years ago, I interviewed Ben about a prediction he had made in a 2015 Sports Illustrated cover story that the Houston Astros, then the worst team in baseball, would become the World Series champions in 2017. When that prediction came true, they called him Astrodamus. Ben then parlayed his knowledge of and his access to the Astros into a wonderful book on their revolutionary approach to data and optimization. It was called Astro Ball. Martin and I at Backpage were proud to publish it in this country. It's still one of my favorites. But in November, Last year, 2019, a story broke that became the biggest sports scandal of the year. The Houston Astros had used a video feed to steal signs from opposing catchers. Then, in real time, they alerted the batter to the type of pitch that was coming by banging on a trash can. Ben's response to the shocking and kind of heartbreaking development was to go after the story in all of its nuanced complexity, and he did so with a podcast. It's called The Edge, and all six episodes, the last is a two-parter, are available now. It's the sports podcast of the year, in my opinion, and even if you are not familiar with baseball, you'll love it. It's about human behavior and ethics. It's about sport meeting technology and big business and social media. Please give it a listen and let us know what you think. I started our conversation this time by asking Ben how he felt when he first heard the news that the team he had followed for five years had been cheating. I do remember it very well, Neil. In fact, it was a year ago yesterday, right? It was November 12th, 2019. I'm talking to you today. It's November 13th, 2020. And I was probably more surprised than anyone on some level, because as you say, I spent so much time since 2014 with this organization, thinking about the organization, explaining what made it tick, getting to know the people in it, both in the front office and the players in the clubhouse and all sorts of folks. So for that reason, I was just, it was like I was hit by a ton of bricks when this came out. But the second part of my own reaction was kind of interesting to me and propelled me forward into this new project, which is that while I was so surprised, I kind of immediately had an idea of how this could happen here, right? And that this organization was one that was completely committed to finding an edge, to finding a competitive advantage in every single thing that it did. 
So, sign stealing, something that's happened in baseball, as I explained in the podcast, since the game's inception, really, uh, was this the Astros just pushing this further than than anybody else had, in, as they did in so many other facets of the game? What Was this kind of coming from this culture of breaking, not breaking rules, but bending rules, kind of not adhering to baseball orthodoxies, uh, really doing all they can in every single area to gain an edge? That was how I immediately framed it and explained it to myself, and that kind of guided my exploration of this topic in the following year now. And did it help you in your sort of um, mission to get out from under that ton of bricks? You know, did that sort of journalistic response help you to overcome that blow of, of, of all these relationships that you've built up, this time you've spent covering this story? Did it, how long did it take you to get out from under those bricks? And I mean, you must have been getting some heat on social media as well. Were you sleeping okay? Yeah. No, I, I very quickly kind of transitioned from, from this moment of extreme surprise to feeling a drive and responsibility to be the one to get to the bottom of it, right? Because I, I and that's really how I thought about it. And you're right. There, there were a lot of people on Twitter who were saying, oh, man, you better write a sequel to Astro Ball or you need to write a new epilogue or a new chapter to Astro Ball. And then there were other people who were not quite so encouraging and saying that the whole thing had been a fraud all along and, you know, some people accusing me of having known about this and covering it up and things like that. But I get it, you know. I, I, I got all the criticism. I, I had identified myself. I had become publicly identified as well with this story. So I had some level of ownership of it. And when I say responsibility, that's an authentic feeling that I felt. I'm not just saying that. Like, I really felt like I should be the one to to go back into this story and figure out what happened, why it happened, and what it means. And why the form that you chose? Like, when you had everything open to you, you kind of know where you want to go with it. What made you land on a, on a six-part podcast? It was kind of a, a combination of thinking the format would really work well to tell this story as far as the emotional richness of it, as far as, frankly, the speed which, 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 with which I could do it. I mean, I've, this has been my full-time job for eight months, but I, I knew I could do it a bit faster maybe than writing another book. I didn't know if I had another book in me about this topic, but um, there, another answer is that I happened to meet this guy – Leon Nafok, uh, who people in the podcast world might be familiar with. He was the one who created the podcast Slow Burn, which was kind of a breakout hit a couple years ago about Watergate. And uh, there was one about the Clinton impeachment process over here. Leon and his team, in a funny way, they don't know much about sports at all. These are not sports people, right? They're more political people. But what they do know is scandals, Right. Watergate, Clinton impeachment. They know how corruption takes root. They know how to tell these stories. I thought that Slow Burn was just a really rich, compelling podcast. And when I met him, it seemed like this is a collaboration that could really work. You know, I knew this story. I knew sports. They knew the other side of things. And, uh, you know, it, it. I think that it turns out that it, it did work just as I'd hoped. I listened to both of those first two series of Slow Burn and, and absolutely loved them. And... I can see the synergy between those two stories and yours. And I think the start of your first episode, when you know that that has come from the Slowburn team, the 
size of the hook mm-hmm. makes more sense to me now because I remember, I mean, I was all in for this thing. I was going to be listening to the, <laughs> to, to the, entire, to the entire thing anyway. But the first probably three or four minutes until the end of that initial bang, bang um, soundtrack is just absolutely sensational. And there are two parts to it. One is the sound design, and we'll take our hats off to the, to the slow burn guys for that. But the second is the decision to start by speaking to somebody who does not feature in the book that you wrote, a gentleman called Mike Bolsinger. And can you explain who he is and why you chose to start episode one with him? You know, that was one of the earliest thoughts that I had for this podcast, which is I want to start with Mike Bolsinger. And it actually took a few months to get him to agree to do the podcast at all. I didn't, and then, of course, you don't know if his interview is going to be as you think it was is going to be, but it turns out that it was. And the reason I wanted to start with Mike Bolsinger was that this is a pitcher who was hanging on to his job in the major leagues by his fingernails, right? This was not a star. This was not a guy making $20 million a year. He was on the edge of the majors and the minor leagues, and he was a guy who threw 90 miles an hour, which is not very fast in major league baseball terms, didn't get a lot of strikeouts, just kind of was like hanging on. And then he ran into the Astros in August of 2017, some just regular season game on an August night, and they absolutely obliterated him. They destroyed him. Like the first eight guys he faced reached base. He gave up four runs before getting one out. Just a terrible outing. And it turned out to be the last night of his major league career. He went back to the clubhouse. He knew he was going to be sent down to the minors. He was sent down to the minors, never called up again, ended up going to Japan to continue his career. He didn't find out until two years later, along with everybody else, that this was the peak of the Astros cheating scheme. Like this was when they were banging on their trash can more than any other night. So that to me was just an incredibly compelling story. This guy's personal journey to show that this cheating scandal, you know, it's kind of tawdry, it's entertaining, but it did have real human costs and real human stake here. So that's why I want to start with Mike Bolsinger. And I really do think that, you know, the, the interview that he gave and the emotion that, that, he, uh, that, that he displayed in the interview really sets this series off in the way that I want it to. You know, this is about more than just banging a trash can. There, there's a lot more implications to this. The other decision that I was sort of most impressed with is the, the way that each episode carries you through a different part of the story. It's not really told in a linear fashion, but the end result is that you, you feel like you're sort of 360 degrees around what is a very nuanced and complicated tale. So, you know, in one episode, you cover the, the backstory of the Astros, how they got to this sort of era, this, this fantastic era that was where you first joined this story. Um, we get a sort of uh, bird's eye view of the history of, of cheating or line blurring in baseball, especially as it relates to sign stealing. We get an episode that gives us a good idea of that culture of the Astros um, under the current management or the, the management when they won the, the 17 World Series. And then we get a good look at the reaction to the scandal itself and finally the aftermath. It seems to me that it was quite a challenging story to, to break down in, into chunks like that. Um, honestly, I was kind of always how I was seeing this story from my initial outline. There were, there were a few tweaks here and there and a few, re, few bits of rearranging. But somebody described it almost as like a kaleidoscope way of telling the story. Somebody else said it's, 
it's kind of like Lost. You know the TV show <laughs> Lost, where it is chronological. Like the main, and and if you follow the series, it essentially is chronological as far as the main thread. You know, moving through 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. But then you always pull out different themes, and you can jump back in time to explain the foundations of where these things came from. So, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of how I always conceived of it. And I would say in a a different way, each of the episodes kind of centers on one of the factors that, in my telling, ended up contributing to this perfect storm. You know, without which, you know, if you took any one of these factors away, I don't think that this would have happened. Or at least the scandal would not have blown up in the way that it did. But they were all there. (laughs) <laughs> and they all combined in this explosive way. Um, and, and that's another way that I was thinking about how uh, that, was, that was another principle of organizing it, that each episode was like kind of diving into one of these phenomena that ended up combining in the way that it did. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So the anchor of the Sports Illustrated cover story that led to us first getting in touch with you was access. And that access carried through to your writing of Astro Ball, Ben. But when it comes to this understandably and probably predictably for you, the access to the Astros was not as complete. So I wanted to, (laughs) (laughs) I I wanted to wave a magic wand. You can go back in time to the start of production and you can have three interviews that you got turned down for. Which, which three would you take? Number one's easy, Neil. And I actually kind of say it in the series and it's Carlos Beltran, who is, You'll remember, obviously, that he got a whole chapter in Astro Ball in my book talking about his incredible off-the-field influence on the clubhouse and how he's such a leader and how he kind of brought all these different factions of people together into one winning machine. And those things are all true still, right? Like, they, they really are. But there is another side to his leadership and to his influence, which is that he was one of the central lead, c- central ringleaders of the sign-stealing scheme. Uh, he's, he's a really compelling character. He has not really spoken at all about this scheme. You know, he, was, he, was, he had been hired as the manager of the New York Mets shortly before this thing broke, uh, he never managed a game for the Mets. He kind of was let go after the thing broke. And now he's been silent, and it's been a year now. So he was somebody that I really trail, uh, really reached out to and 
tried to convince through his reps for months and months and months to come my podcast. I ended up playing some snippets from an old interview I'd done with him in the podcast. Uh, but he's such a complicated, fascinating character and one who knows a lot about how the dynamics that led to this worked that I thought he would be a great interview. Uh, I didn't get him. So <laughs> uh, I guess the other two, one would be uh, Alex Cora, right, who is recently rehired as the manager of the Red Sox. He was suspended for the past year as the Red Sox manager because of his role in this cheating scheme when he was a coach for the Astros. He was kind of at the center of all this, too. Um, I'd be fascinated to interview him. And the third one is a guy that I don't talk about all that much until the very final episode, who is the owner of the Astros. Uh, his name is Jim Crane. He's a billionaire. Uh, he was fully absolved of any knowledge of or role in or contribution to the scandal uh, by the Major League Baseball report. Um, I would love to have a chance to, to sit down with Jim Crane and talk about all those things as well. All right, let's talk about another billionaire because another creative decision um, that, yeah. that really impressed me was the decision to begin your concluding episode with, I clocked it at approximately nine minutes of a story mm -hmm. which really serves, for your purposes, it really just serves as an allegory about uh, a hedge fund um, billionaire called Stephen A. Cohen. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bold decision. It really does land. But I wonder how you came up with that call. <laughs> I'm glad it landed with you because it was a risk, right? Like we're in this, this world of the Astros yeah. for six episodes at that point. And then I decided to trust the listeners, you know, that I would go off into an, what seems like a totally different story at first and trust that my listeners uh, would understand why I'm telling them this story and would see all of the connections between this story and my story. And also trusting myself that it wasn't just a really stupid idea to do, to do this. <laughs> but I, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Like for a little bit of background for your listeners, Steve Cohen, one of the richest people in the world, ran essentially the dominant hedge fund on Wall Street um, and turned out that his hedge fund was also engaging in what authorities described as the most extensive insider trading operation in the history of Wall Street. And his firm paid a $1.8 billion fine because of this. And a lot of his or several of his employees got arrested and sent to jail, one for nine years for doing this, sent to prison. But Steve Cohen evaded personal prosecution and kind of continued to go on. Um, with his life and his firm, and his firm is now worth $17 billion, his new firm. Uh, so he really didn't face any any significant consequences besides just paying some money, which sounds like a lot of money to, or is a lot of money to anybody else in the world, but isn't really to him. So I was thinking about him for a long time, because a lot of the story is about the um, financialization of sports and baseball in particular, you know, bringing in these Wall Street strategies, which I wrote a lot about in Astro Ball. But maybe I didn't give enough time to thinking about, well, what are the downsides of this, right? Like, what, what are we really inviting into our America's pastime by bringing in these sorts of strategies and these sorts of people and these sorts of motivations? Um, and Steve Cohen just seemed like a really strong example of how, how this would work 
and kind of the, the downsides of all of this. And there are actually some really striking resonances between that specific story and the Astros story that I had told over the previous six episodes. Anyway, so I thought I wanted to mention it all along. Without giving away the ending, the Astros story was largely positioned as, oh, this is an ethical violation. This is such an outlier in our game. Like, we need to cut it out and we can continue on with, you know, this great honorable game we have. But I guess I wanted to broaden out in the final episode just to show, you know what, this is not just an Astros thing anymore. Like, these strategies, these influences are pervasive in baseball now and they're only going to get worse as the money gets bigger, as the outside influences get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why it's called Astro World, the episode. And, you know, I'm not going to give away the ending for people that don't know what Steve Cohen's done recently, but uh, it turned out that it, it tied up pretty neatly at the end. You have takeaways about the impact that this story has had on the game of baseball, the impact it's had on the Astros organization, the response um, from MLB, the question of of blame and even sort of societal factors, cultural factors, um, which you touch on with the um, with the Cohen story there. I mean, you mentioned trusting your listeners, but that's asking the listener to engage. Even more dangerous, it's asking the sports fan to engage in nuance. And I wonder <laughs> if twenty, I wonder if twenty twenty is the best time to make such. You know, I've, I've been. <laughs> I've been pleased so far. Most people, it seems to have connected with most people I've heard from most people because it is a, it's kind of a fascinating standalone story, even if you don't like care that much about the connections. I also spend a lot of this podcast um, wrestling with myself, kind of wrestling with my own role in promoting this story and wrestling with how much of this story is still valid and true. And I think a lot of it is right. The Astros uncracked a lot of very positive things for baseball, but looking at myself and saying, did I miss this kind of darker side of their program? And it's a darker side, Neil, that is not at all limited to baseball. You know, I, I thought about this story a lot when I was seeing the news about the Premier League, for instance, over the summer, how the, the, the top teams want to break away and form their own Super League, uh, all of those things. You know, like, when does this end? Uh, how far does it spread? And I think in the modern world, the answer is pretty far. Definitely. Um, so the edge came out, or it, it was rolled out. Um, firstly, during during postseason, how I, I can't believe for a second that you weren't keeping track of the Astros' progress. How do you feel about them now? About <laughs> there's a lot of them's right. Like there's the Astros can be the organization, it can be the team, it can be the players. Like the Astros is kind of a, a catch-all. I think that they there's a lot to learn from them. Right. Like there's a lot to and people have learned a lot from them. There's a lot to learn from them in ways about how they were at the vanguard of progress. Right. About how they did uncrack ways for players to get the best out of themselves. Uh, they did kind of open up the good old boys club that was Major League Baseball to different ways of thinking and new technologies. And, you know, maybe on some level, this is just how it's going to go. Right. Like you can't stop progress you can't really try to stop progress. You you can try to fight off new technologies that could lead to all sorts of powers, both intended and unintended, but you're probably not going to be able to. But what you can do is stop and recognize along the way the downsides of all these things and how things are changing and maybe try to put in some regulations to limit some of the power of all of this innovation. Uh, so I guess those are the types of things that I'm certainly thinking about right now 
Well, I loved it, and I can't recommend it highly enough to everybody listening to this podcast. Um, last question, Ben. What's next for you? So we're talking on Friday, November 13th. I, I, the episode came out on November 11th, two days ago. I, I stopped recording it on the day before that, on November 10th. So I feel like I'm like still in the middle of making this thing. Uh, but you know, I, I do think that as a first-time podcaster, if you do the thing right it has a really great way of allowing you to tell stories with emotion and with depth and to connect with a listener slash reader in a way that sometimes you can't even on the page. So I'd love to find uh, another story to for season two of The Edge. Some people have thought, some people have said, does this mean that season two is about Stephen A. Cohen, which I hadn't thought about. Um, I'm not sure, but, you know, anything, I, I think that the the theme of the show which is, you know, the point at which we cross over the line, cross over the edge from, you know, just competition into cheating is one that could apply to all sorts of things in sports and out of sports. So I'll be looking around for another story to, uh, to fit that bill. Thank you once again to Ben Reiter for being our guest. The Edge is available in its entirety for your listening pleasure. Just search for The Edge or Ben Reiter on your podcast app of choice. You won't regret it. And please check out our new book, At the End of the Storm, Stories from Liverpool's Historic Title Win. It's published by Backpage in association with The Athletic, and it's out now. You can find out more about it by clicking on the link in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening to Between the Lines. I hope the rest of your day is sensational. Goodbye for now. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 